Thanks, Mario. Uh, morning and welcome to church. My name's Rowan. Uh, great to see you as we've gathered together in this part of God's Word. As we start now and look at this next section of Mark's Gospel, I want to begin with a number. That number is 30,000. I want you to think about that number for a moment. 30,000. You can do lots of things with that number. $30,000, that'd be nice. Um, uh, 30,000 points in an exam. That'd be brilliant, right? It's almost way too many. Uh, 30,000%. There are so many things we could think of 30,000 in. Um, That number, 30,000, is the number of men and women from New Zealand who have died on foreign soil for our nation. As we commemorate today Anzac Day, as we think through the sacrifice of so many men and women throughout the years, we want to stop and pause and think through how great a sacrifice that is. 30,000. Men and women, some of them just only 18 years of age, some under that, not even able to to drink or to vote. Yet they sacrificed their lives. They gave their lives for something. Today we do remember them. But we also celebrate, in a sense. uh, Because not only was there a sacrifice, but it achieved something. That's, That's why we celebrate. That's what Anzac Day is partially about. It's recognizing that the object of their sacrifice was worthy to defend our nation and other nations, to stop evil in the world, to bring about peace, democracy, to do what was right, what is good. We remember today not just the people who died, but the reason that they did it. Now, it strikes me as I look at Anzac Day and us as a nation, and the fact that people are finding some sort of affinity with Anzac Day, that there's, there's something that our culture today recognizes that's perhaps missing from other parts of society. And we celebrate Anzac Day in a sense, and we, we, we see something that is, well, courageous about these people. We want to stand in some sort of solidarity, in some sort of identity with these people and say, look what they did. Look at what they've done. We see in them something that I think is extremely rare in our day-to-day society. We see men and women who are living for something bigger than themselves. There's a sense of transcendence of all that we say. There's something great about that. Are people standing alongside people living for something greater than themselves, who had a purpose other than just serve themselves, who, who, who lived to defend something that was worthy of their sacrifice? It's one of the few places in society where we get to stand back and take the focus off ourselves and go, you know what? What they did for others was good. So we take a moment to actually think about the perspective we so often have on our lives. Our view of the world is so often constricted by what affects us. Do you find that? The big issues that I'm facing at the moment, our careers, our concerns, we limit our our worries and and our troubles to what it means for me. But here, these people did something that really wasn't just for them, but was far, far bigger. Now, There's something right on this day to stop and reflect and celebrate on the sacrifice of others for the greater good, for what is right. Over the past 16 weeks, we've been following this fast-paced story of Jesus Christ, the servant king, uh, the one who stepped into the pages of history and laid down his life, sacrificed his life for us. History records that Jesus of Nazareth did all sorts of things. We've seen it over the past 16 weeks. Healing the sick, um, raising the dead, calming the storms, offering forgiveness to end the war with people and God. 
He claimed to bring peace, but not just world peace like the beauty pageant queen does, but peace with God. Rest from God's judgment on us for rejecting him to end the war between us and God. By his sacrifice, by his death on the cross, Jesus laid down his life and died for us. On this day that we remember what others have done and others have sacrificed, we ought to remember today the sacrifice of Jesus. Because if you want the best picture, the ultimate picture of human sacrifice, surely it's God the Son who laid his life down for us. Like our Anzac veterans, like those who've gone before us, we so quickly forget not only the sacrifice Jesus made, but the reason for it. In this section of Mark's Gospel, Mark records what Jesus wanted us to remember so that we would not forget, so that we would not desert. And we see a passage full of people deserting Jesus, forgetting what he'd come to do, so close to the moment. How easy it is for us today to move our eyes from what is important and what matters, from the sacrifice of Jesus. Well, if you want to know what the sacrifice of Jesus means, surely the best place to go is the place where Jesus tells you to remember him. And that's here in Mark 14. The passage starts out two days before the Passover. Now, the Passover was kind of this big feast in the Jewish calendar. It's it's pretty big. And in order to understand Jesus, you've got to understand this festival called Passover. The Passover was was really the biggest event on the Jewish calendar. It's what I look forward to every year, kind of like Christmas for us today, if you want a modern day comparison. It was a time when the Jews remembered what God had done for them way back at the start of the Bible, when, when in the book of Exodus, it's recorded what God did as he brought his people out of Egypt. Uh, They'd been there under slavery for 400 years. Uh, The promise had been given way back in Genesis 12 to see God's people um, be be brought out into their own land to be a great nation and to blessing to go to the ends of the earth through them. But here they were stuck in slavery for 400 years. Horrible, horrible time. Itching to get out generation after generation for the Pharaoh who was there to let them go, but he would not let them go. However, God was faithful to his promises. He he rescued them. He sent plague after plague after plague on Egypt and all the people, but God's people were were freed from them. He saved his people from these plagues. And then in the final plague, when the angel of death passed through Egypt and, and killed every firstborn son, except for those that had wiped the blood of a lamb on the doorpost, God made sure the angel of death passed over those houses who had listened to God's word through Moses and wiped the blood of a lamb on the doorpost to say, another animal has died. Someone has died instead of your firstborn son. Those who'd slaughtered a lamb were freed from this death that came across so many people. And Israel celebrated this year after year after year because God freed his people. He did not wipe them out. He passed over their sins and brought them through the Red Sea, out into the Promised Land. He saved them. And this became a major moment for Israel. And and you've got to understand it to understand what Jesus is doing in this passage here. If you haven't read it recently, go back and read Exodus. It's a fantastic read of God's promises and character and plan. So at the Passover, Jesus and the disciples were at this, this celebration. There was lots to remember. Celebrating the goodness of a God who keeps his promises. Imagine that. A leader who keeps their promises. Who does what they say they will do every time, always. 
the faithfulness of that God, his love for his people, his amazing power. But this particular Passover in Mark 14 was very different. Jesus and his closest 12 friends sit down and eat this Passover meal. And Jesus takes what was a well-known ritual, a drinking of the cup of wine and some bread that was there. It had been practiced for year after year after year, all the way back to the celebration of the Passover out of Egypt. It had a set order and procedure, but now Jesus changes it. He does something different to this Passover meal. So come with me, Mark 14, verse 22. Mark 14, verse 22. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. You're like, now these words, they seem very familiar if you've been around church circles for a while. You're like, yes, we we read them as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together and we, we talk through what went on here. But this is a phenomenally different thing that's going on. Imagine being there at the table. Jesus, this one who said he's going to die and rise again, who's going to his death. They're not quite convinced of who he is quite yet. And then he he takes this Passover meal that celebrated God passing over the sins of those in Egypt and saving the firstborn and, and, and changes it to say, take, this is my body. This is my body. It's kind of weird. You've got to admit that, right? You know, what is going on here? But it's incredibly clear. Jesus is saying this, the Passover, the celebration, what happened way back in Exodus is about me. It was pointing forward to me. As Jesus is about to go to his death and lay down his life as the greatest sacrifice for his people, he's saying he is that Passover lamb. The Passover is no longer about the blood of a lamb that rescued people from Egypt. It's about the blood of God the Son, Jesus, who would lay down his life, have his body broken for us and his blood poured out for us that he would take the penalty that we deserve. It's about the greatest escape the world has ever seen. The escape from sin and death. The escape from us needing to face God for the way we've treated him and not treating him ultimately the way he deserves to be treated. Jesus here reframes the Passover because it's how he wants his followers to remember him. Mark doesn't record it here, but in the same section in Luke, Luke 22, 19, Jesus says these words, This is my body which is given for you, Do this in remembrance of me. He tells them, remember me this way. As you think of what I've come to do, look back to this meal and remember what has happened. I've fulfilled, completed the Passover and it's happening in me. So as we come together and we think about these meals, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper a little bit later this morning. I want to spend some time just delving into what that actually is from this part of the Bible. And the first thing we see about this meal, this Lord's Supper that he has together, is it's about remembering Jesus' death. Remembering Jesus' death. Right? We remember Jesus as God the Son who's come and died in our place. That he took on human flesh. That he died a criminal's death. This is what Paul says later on when he, when he writes Philippians, Philippians 2.6. He says, Jesus Christ, who existing in the form of God didn't consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, 
taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Paul's explaining what we now understand, that Jesus' death was one who came and laid down his life for us. Being obedient to his Father's plan, to his plan that was involved in that together. And then God raised him from the death to show that it worked, to show that he is king, to show that he is judge. Jesus at this meal takes a piece of bread and rips it apart. And there's a great sense as he does that, that his body is about to be ripped apart for us. I don't know if you've seen uh, many of the war movies that are around. Uh, Saving Private Ryan uh, is one of the kind of great movies I've really enjoyed. But apparently it was so graphic and so real that when they released Saving Private Ryan uh, and people saw it in cinemas, they had to employ counsellors because so many people experienced PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, because it was so similar to the experiences of war that they'd been in. And you look at that movie and you see some of the horror of war, the horror of death, of being ripped apart. There's a sense where Jesus takes the bread and rips it to say, I am being broken for you. My body will be ripped for you. He then grabs this, this wine on the table, fruit of the, wine, of, the, of the grapes, and he pours it out saying, my blood will be poured out for you. One of the kind of um, clearest scenes in my mind from that movie is just seeing pools of water turn to blood. It's disgusting. It's, it's life poured out from people. But Jesus here takes that image and says, that ought to be my life and yours poured out. But I'm doing this for you. The blood of the creator of the universe being poured out like a slaughtered lamb. It's crazy, isn't it? Sometimes we become too familiar with this story that we don't stop and reflect. The one who created blood, who spoke, and the universe came into being. The one who flung stars into space, who upholds the whole world, allowed his creation to nail him to a cross. Allowed his creation to kill him while we wanted nothing to do with him. He would willingly die in our place. Jesus' death was real and it was gruesome. And he wants us to remember that he has done this so that we won't forget. So we won't forget what ought to happen to us? You see, if we've rejected the God who gives life, if we've said to God, look, I don't, I don't want you in my life, then we actually deserve death. That, that's what we're asking for. We deserve God's judgment. Him to say, away from me, to have no life. We, we deserve, well, hell. And on the cross, Jesus went to hell for us. He took the penalty not only of humankind and the pain of his body being torn apart, but the wrath of God poured out on him. Jesus said in Mark 10.45, The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He did it as a ransom, paying the price for another like so many of those war veterans who went and died in our place, who died to protect us as a nation and to, to see evil stop, Jesus went and did this because of us. 
Now, often as someone goes to war, it's not because of the country that they're, they're leading, that they're going towards. It's not because of the people they're representing. Uh, they're doing it because someone else is coming in. But Jesus' death, we remember, be, happened because of us. It was because of you and me that Jesus died, because we turned our backs on him. You see in this meal that Jesus is having with the 12 disciples that there is one amongst them there that will betray him. Judas has already gone and offered to betray Jesus, to make up some lie so that Jesus might be handed over to the officials and killed. Yet he's still sitting there at that table. It's not just Judas either. All of them we see in this next section as you keep reading on, all of them would deny Jesus. They would not remember. They would not know what he has come to do fully. In verse 47, he says, all of you will fall away. 27, not 47. When the crucial moment came, each and every disciple was guilty of rejecting Jesus. So the innocent one was crucified. This meal Jesus tells us to keep remembering him through is to remind us that his body was broken and his blood poured out because of you and me. Because we haven't treated God as we ought. Because someone needs to pay the price for rejecting the life-giving God. None of us are innocent. All of us have turned our backs on God. We failed to treat him as, as he deserves. Uh, growing up, there was a, uh, an Australian um, guitarist and singer who wrote this song. It was a Christian guy. It was all about Barabbas. And basically, the story goes about Barabbas, who's, who's there, um, where basically they called out, Barabbas is let free. You can have Barabbas or you can have Jesus. And the crowd says, take Jesus. We, we want Barabbas back. Kill Jesus. And this song was all about Barabbas is like us. The one that really deserved to die, to be nailed to that cross, who was, who was let go, the guilty, set free. Such a powerful song for me growing up, but even more powerful to reflect as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. That it was our body and blood that should be broken and poured out. And so as we remember what Jesus did, we think through, wow. This ought to be me. None of us are innocent. And so right point at the moment, as we think through the reality of what Jesus is saying to do here, to ask ourselves, like Jesus asks at that table, is there areas in my life that I need to do business with God? Are there thoughts or actions that you, you aren't right with God in? That you need to take a moment to think through, you know what, I've been living this way and I need to stop because, well, that future ought to be mine. Death, judgment, and hell, separation from God's goodness forever ought to be what I get. But when Jesus has died in my place, well, I can be freed from that. And so we're called to reflect. Are there areas of our lives that we need to confess? To come to God and say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you that you paid the price for me. To remember, it was because of us that Jesus died. But it was also for us. It was on our behalf. It was not just a death for death's sake. It was a death for your sake and for mine. Jesus died. He faced that penalty and punishment for sin in our place. So we don't have to. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. Jesus' death was in our place. Now, one of the things that I loved watching when I was um, much younger, much younger, 
was the WWF wrestling. Is anyone here kind of a secret fan of the WWF wrestling? Yeah, it's the secret because they want to put their hands up. I see no one. It's okay, I'll, I'll go out on a limb here. It was just hilarious. These people that would kind of wrestle and it was pretend wrestling, but sometimes they really damaged themselves and they'd have a strained kind of limb, but it looked really bad. And, they're kind of, and I remember there was this kind of tag team option where there was um, two people fighting, pretend fighting, two people. And basically someone's got someone in a hold and they'd go near the edge of the ring and tag their opponent and then someone else could come in. And then that would jump in and smash the other person off the, off the kind of ring ropes on the side. It was like, this is awesome. Well, why am I telling you this? <laughs> because what Jesus did was kind of tag himself in to be smashed. His death in our place was taking the punishment that we deserve. We are pinned to the floor about to be smashed. Jesus tags himself in and says, I'll be smashed for you. He does it in our place. Christ suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. See, WWF is ultimately about Jesus. See? If anyone starts an addiction watching WWF wrestling, sorry, come and talk to me. We'll work through that together. I don't watch it anymore. But the same imagery was there in the Passover, as you look back. As the people were preparing that meal, as they'd been told after all plague after plague after plague had come through, that God would pass through with the angel of death, and every firstborn in every house would die. You can imagine that. I mean, you can imagine what it would be like to be there. Uh, let, let me tell you a kind of a, a, a fake illustration that helps us to understand it. Imagine there were two Jewish fathers, two, two Jewish dads on the night of the Passover. They're there in Exodus, kind of got their tents. They've been told to get ready. They're getting ready. They're a bit jumpy, as you can imagine. One of them's incredibly nervous about what's about to happen that night. The other one, kind of strutting around, incredibly confident. The nervous one turns to the confident one and goes, aren't you just a bit concerned here? What's going to happen tonight? There's crazy things that have been going on. Are you sure it'll work? There's been flies and frogs and death of livestock and rivers to blood. Now God said that tonight the angel of death will pass through and, and kill every firstborn son. The confident father replies, Nah, don't worry about it. You've killed the lamb, right? Yeah, yeah, killed the lamb. You put blood on the doorpost like Moses said. Yeah, yeah, I've done that. Well, the lamb died in, in the place of your son. Don't worry about it. Blood's been spilt. You know, little Zebedee, he's going to be fine. That little guy, he'll be fine. And the nervous one is like, but aren't you just a bit worried? Are you sure? Like, what if it doesn't work? I want you to put yourself in that situation there with your own children. What if it doesn't work? How would you be feeling at that moment? The nervous one says to the confident one, you've got five sons, you know, I've only got the one. There's no fallback option for me here. This is important. But the confident one says to him, bring it on. Now that night in our imaginary situation, which man's son do you think died? The confident one or the nervous one? The answer is, neither. Because death doesn't pass over those people on the grounds of the faith of the parents, on the grounds of the faith of the firstborn son, on how well they sprinkled blood over the door, and whether it covered 80% or 100%, or how well they followed every single action they needed to do. Death passes over them on the grounds 
solely of the blood of a lamb who died in their place. It was the blood of a lamb who died in the place of the son. Not the good deeds of the father or the son or his family. It was simply that lamb who died in the place of the son. It was tag-teamed in. It died. The son didn't have to. Friends, Jesus' death, what he's saying is, remember, my death is for you, is in your place. I am like that sacrificed lamb who has died in your place. You don't have to stand and worry about what will happen when you face the judgment of God. When we stand face to face with death and think, oh, have I done a good enough job? Have I, have I said enough? Have I kept God's law enough? Have I done enough good things? It's got nothing to do with what we have done and everything to do with the sufficiency of the lamb. And as you look at the lamb who is Jesus who died in our place, God the Son, the perfect one, as he dies on that cross, three words, it is finished. The penalty is paid. Death has been absorbed in him so that those who trust him might have life, might know the Father, might look forward to the new creation. As Jesus walks to his death, he's saying, remember me like this. As you celebrate the Passover meal, he's saying to his disciples, remember that my death was for you, in your place. How many times do you find yourself questioning, does God really love me? I mean, I've done so many stupid and rebellious and sinful things, even after claiming to be a follower for so long. But we need to recognize the benefits of Jesus' death don't come to us because of anything we do, because I tried hard, because oh, it wasn't a major thing, a major sin, it was only a minor one. No, the benefits come to us solely because of the blood of the Lamb. We get to stand before God on that final day when we face to face with death and judgment itself with no other plea except for Jesus died in my place and I trust him him. That's enough. Jesus died and he died for us. That's why the Lord's Supper is a great celebration that his body was broken for us and his blood was poured out for us. It's a reminder to us that it's not the intensity of our faith that saves us, but the object, the one in whom our faith is in. And the examples we have all around us are of people whose amount of faith was failing. They all deserted Jesus. They all left him. And yet they ended up being the most courageous ones as God gave them the spirit after the resurrection to go out and die to proclaim the news that all you need is the blood of a lamb called Jesus. As Jesus instructed his followers to remember him in fulfillment of the Passover, he told us too, who are in that heritage of people who trust Christ, to eat the bread and drink the juice, the, the, the wine, in fulfillment of the Passover. Pointing to the, the fact that he's come to fulfill what the Passover was originally about. It, it's a meal that symbolizes for us sharing in the benefits of Christ's death in our place. Jesus' body was broken because of me and for me. His blood was poured out because of me and for me. And so as you celebrate the Lord's Supper, as you reach out and eat and drink, you're proclaiming by trusting in Jesus that the benefits of his death are yours. This was for me because I trust him. It's applied to me because I trust him. That's why the Lord's Supper should be something that, that Christians celebrate. 
that only those who trust in Christ celebrate. Because if you don't trust in Jesus, it's kind of odd to be saying, yeah, Jesus died and the only way I can be saved is through his body being broken for me and his blood being poured out, but I don't trust him. That's why Paul says, if you do that as a non-Christian, you're eating and drinking condemnation on yourself. You're saying, Jesus died, his blood was poured out, but I don't trust it. But therefore, I still need to face God's wrath myself. Cheers. And then you eat and drink. It's condemn- you're condemning yourself. It's not a super curse that gets placed on people. It's like, oh, it was a non-Christian you did it, and there's something really special or bad that happens. You're just saying, Jesus died for me, or Jesus died and rose. His blood was poured out, but I don't trust it. So I'm going to stand before the wrath of God on my own. Jesus wants us to remember him in this way. He wants us to remember it was for us and because of us. And he wants us to celebrate the Lord's Supper because it spiritually nourishes us. Spiritually nourishes us. As we fix our eyes on who Jesus is, we see how perfect he is. And as we reflect on who we are as sinners who've caused his death, as we fix our eyes on what Jesus has done for us, it's like, it's like quenching a thirst. It's like feeding a hunger we've forgotten we ever had. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you've been doing something uh, for a long time and you've forgotten how hungry you were? I remember one time, uh, Sarah and I, before we had kids, BC, right, before children, um, uh, before we had kids, it's been a while, 14 years. Um, so before we had kids, we went on this, on this tramp. Uh, it, was, it was in Australia in, in the Blue Mountains called the Six Foot Track. Now, I wish it was the six foot what kind of referred to its length. It didn't. It referred to its width. So six foot wide track, but it went for about 45 kilometers. And we did it over, over two nights, and we, we packed these big packs that pretty much had kitchen sinks in them. All, we had to carry all the water because it's Australia. It's a desert. Like there's, no, there's no real water out there. So all our water's in our packs. And so they, they're like 25 kilos each pack. Well, it's heavy. I'm like, that's a lot for, for you know, three days. And, and, and there's not like a flat kind of boardwalk, nice sort of tramp. It's, it's like this, right? Mountains. And, and anyway, so, so we did this and it rained for a while and it was really cold one night. And, and you end up in, in a cave system at the end. It's a tourist attraction called the Janolan Caves. Fancy caves. And it's really fancy people as you get there. And we've been going for three days, kind of eating the, the food that we brought, which wasn't kind of that fancy. I was incredibly hungry, but it wasn't until... I walked into Janolan Caves and I smelt that smell. You know, the most amazing smell of like hot chips and gravy? I don't know. I walked in and I just, there was this smell coming from the cafeteria of hot chips and gravy. And I was like a bug to light. You know, when the bug says light, it's like, whoa. It just was this, I'm like, so imagine hot chips. And we've been walking for so long, our legs were like jelly. I'd forgotten how hungry I was. I'd forgotten I hadn't eaten much in the last three days. But as I walked into that cafeteria and saw in the kind of servery just this big pile of chips, kind of seedy and gross looking to most people, to me it was like amazing. This is, this is amazing food. Now, I need to be honest with you. I think I would rank that meal as one of the top five meals in my life. <laughs> it shows you that when you can be malnourished, when you haven't had food for a while, when you've been away from it for so long, that you don't recognize it until you have it in front of your face. Friends, dwelling on who Jesus is and what he's done for us, slowing down and reflecting on who we are and what he has done, reminds us of how desperate our need for salvation is. Except when we come to Jesus, it's not just chips and gravy. It's God the Son who's laid down his life for us. He's offering us the best meal there ever is. 
Fill that in for whatever it is for you. It reminds us of how desperate my need for salvation is. That God the Son needed to die in my place. It reminds me how costly the remedy for my sin. The creator of the universe had to die in my place. It reminds me of how wonderful my Savior is. That he would do it for me. That he would willingly die in my place while I was still his enemy. While I wanted nothing to do with him. Celebrating together the Lord's Supper, eating the bread and drinking the juice, we're nourished, we're fed, not with any super spiritual, amazing, kind of mystical way, but by the reminder of what Jesus has done for us. There's nothing present in the bread or juice, it doesn't specially turn into some sort of magical moment. It's just the news of Jesus, the gospel, the news of what he's done. The reformers, the theological giants of the past, they spoke of the Lord's Supper as a visible word. A visible word. It's a, it's a physical reminder of the news of what Jesus did, that his body was broken for us and his blood was poured out for us in our place. So if you're feeling dry, I want to encourage you, don't go searching for mystical experiences or think that the Lord's Supper is going to provide some sort of amazing spiritual transcendent high But come afresh and look at the one whose body and blood was given for you. That is surely the most powerful thing. A real person in human history, Jesus of Nazareth, died in your place. He was God the Son. That actually happened. And he did it for you. He did it because of you. And he did it in your place and mine. It's looking to the cross that amazes me and helps me to be spiritually nourished. To know that Jesus has done this for us. What an amazing God he is. If you're feeling flat and dry, come and enjoy looking afresh with this visible word of what God has done as we celebrate in a moment of Jesus' body and blood broken for us. But it also nourishes us because it helps us to look forward to Jesus' return. Not only does it help us to look back to what Jesus has done, but look at verse 25. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it in the, in the kingdom of God. He tells them that he is coming back. His death is not the end, but Jesus' return is coming. It will be a great celebration. So this meal of the Lord's Supper that Jesus encourages them and us to participate in, to remind one another of what it's about, is also a celebration of the reality that Jesus is coming back. There will be a day when Jesus returns and, and judgment is given. His kingdom will come in its fullness. There'll be no more mourning or crying or pain. And we will celebrate knowing that our sins are forgiven. We will stand with confidence knowing that the Lamb has died in our place. So as we look back to the cross, we look forward to Jesus' return. And there's one more place that we need to look. And that is around at one another, at the unity of believers. So the Lord's Supper reminds us of our unity. That There was one body that bled for us, Jesus' body. There was one Savior who died in our place. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, Because there is one bread, we who are one body, so we who are many are one body, since all of us share in the one bread. It's not saying celebrating the Lord's Supper together makes you somehow amazingly united. It's saying Jesus died for us. We're in him. Either trust Jesus or you don't. And so there's a unity that comes from trusting in Jesus, saying we're brothers and sisters together. We're saved only because of what Jesus has done. We are part of the one body of Jesus. 
So if you trust Jesus, God, the person of his spirit, lives in you. He unites you to Christ and, and, and Christ to you. And he unites us to everyone else who trusts in Jesus as well. So as you eat and drink the Lord's Supper, you, you never do it on your own. It's not like a special thing just for me. It's, it's for us. Paul's quite strong in that. You want to be celebrating together, reminding one another. It's, it's us together as God's gathered people, as his church, celebrating that we are part of Christ together. We do it with one another. We, we think of ourselves as, as a team, as a, as a family. And that because of Jesus' death, we get to spend an eternity together. Now, I know there are sometimes you look around and you see people like me and you're like, do I really want to spend an eternity with Rowan? No. But guess what? I'll be perfected then. And so will you, because sometimes the feeling can be mutual. right? <laughs> but we'll be right with him and made like Christ. And how good that will be. Our sins forgiven. In the presence of God the Father and God the Son forever. No more mourning or crying or pain. So when you come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's right to ask, is what taking this bread and this juice symbolizes really true? Do I really trust Jesus and only Jesus? Nothing more, not my works, not my good deeds. Do I trust that it was because of me and for me that he died? Do I trust that by coming and looking at what he's done, it will help me to stay firm to the end, trusting Jesus? And do I really think I'm in right relationship and unity with one another? Am I in right relationship with those I'll spend eternity with? There might be a sense where the Lord's Supper affords you an opportunity not to take it. To go, you know what? I've had this argument and I really need to go and sort this out with someone. I'm not at unity with them. And to actually not take the Lord's Supper and to go and express that and work through that, apologize. Remember that you're part of the same family now. It doesn't mean we have to be best friends with everyone. But it, it does mean there needs to be no disgruntlement between you and someone else. That you can actually go, hey, we're in Christ. I'm a sinner at the foot of the cross. I deserve death, judgment, and hell. But Jesus died for me and for you and for you and for you. And so we need to be on the same team here. Friends, the unity that comes from being united with Christ is profound. We're together in him. By faith in Christ, he is in us and we are in him. We get to be called his church and his body. And so we have this great privilege of coming together as God's people and reminding one another of what he has done for us. Well, friends, Jesus has profoundly shown us in his actions in human history, his love for us. He's offered us all the blessing that salvation brings. He's offered us life and hope and forgiveness and relationship with with God and with one another. He's offered us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. And he's inviting us today that if you do trust in Jesus to come and eat and drink together, to remind one another of what Jesus' death is about, as we reflect on remembering those who died in our place, we need to reflect and remember the one who died for us all. If today you want to come and commit your life to Jesus, you want to trust him, then maybe do it as we we take the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do in a moment. Maybe make that the first step to say, yes, I need Jesus' body who was broken for me and his blood poured out for me. I trust you. So why don't we pray and ask God to help us to see Jesus' death the way he wants us to remember it. Let's pray. Father God, thanks so much for your word today. Thank you for the reminder that the visible word of the Lord's Supper that we're about to enjoy together. 
We thank you for Jesus' death in our place, recognizing that it was because of us. We're sorry for the times that we've turned our back on you. Sorry for the times that we don't put Jesus in his rightful place as King and Lord, where we think we can control our lives apart from you. Please forgive us and help us to recognize that it's only because of what Jesus has done at the cross that we can be forgiven, not because of anything that we do. Lord, we are so thankful for that fact, that we can stand forgiven because it is wholly and completely finished in Jesus. Please help us to keep coming back to your word, your gospel, that we might trust you and live for you. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.